Welcome to Volume 5 of Sky Island. Chapter 11 Button Bright Encounters the Blue Wolf A low, fierce growl greeted him. The treasure chamber was pretty dark, although the moonlight came in through some of the windows, but the boy had brought with him the low brass lamp that lighted the corridor, and this he set upon a table beside the door before he took the time to look around him. The treasure chamber was heaped and crowded with all the riches the Boolaroo had accumulated during his reign of two or three hundred years. Piles of gold and jewels were on all sides, and precious ornaments and splendid cloths, rare pieces of carved furniture, vases, bric-a-brac, and the like were strewn about the room in astonishing profusion. Just at the boy's feet crouched a monstrous animal of most fearful aspect. He knew at a glance it was the terrible blue wolf, and the sight of the beast sent a shiver through him. The blue wolf's head was fully as big as that of a lion, and its wide jaws were armed with rows of long pointed teeth. Its shoulders and front legs were huge and powerful, but the rest of the wolf's body dwindled away until at its tail it was no bigger than a dog. The jaws were therefore the dangerous part of the creature, and its small blue eyes flashed wickedly at the intruder. Just as the boy made his first step forward, the blue wolf sprang upon him with its enormous jaws stretched wide open. Button Bright jammed the sofa pillow into the brute's mouth and crowded it in as hard as he could. The terrible teeth came together and buried themselves in the pillow. And then Mr. Wolf found he could not pull them out again, because his mouth was stuffed full. He could not even growl or yelp, but rolled upon the floor trying in vain to release himself from the conquering pillow. Button Bright paid no further attention to the helpless animal, but caught up the blue brass lamp and began a search for his umbrella. Of course he could not find it, as it was not there. He came across a small book in light blue leather which lay upon an exquisitely carved center table. It was named in dark blue letters stamped on the leather the Royal Record Book. And remembering that Gip Gazizzle longed to possess this book, Button Bright hastily concealed it inside his blouse. Then he renewed his search for the umbrella, but it was quite in vain. He hunted in every crack and corner, tumbling the treasures here and there in the quest, but at last he became positive that the magic umbrella had been removed from the room. The boy was bitterly disappointed and did not know what to do next, but he noticed that the blue wolf had finally seized an edge of the sofa pillow in its sharp claws and was struggling to pull the thing out of his mouth. So, there being no object in his remaining longer in the room where he might have to fight the wolf again, Button Bright went out and locked the door behind him. While he stood in the corridor wondering what to do next, a sudden shouting reached his ears. It was the voice of the Boolaroo crying, My key! My key! Who has stolen my golden key? And then there followed shouts of soldiers and guards and servants and the rapid pattering of feet was heard throughout the palace. Button Bright took to his heels and ran along the passages until he came to Cap'n Bill's room, 
whether Sailor Man and Trot were anxiously awaiting him. Quick! cried the boy. We must escape from here at once, or we will be caught and patched. Where's the umbrell? asked Captain Bill. I don't know. I can't find it. But all the palace is aroused, and the Boolaroo's furious. Come on, let's get away at once. Where will we go? inquired Trot. We must make for the open country, and hide in the fog bank, or in the arch of Finnis, replied the boy. They did not stop to argue any longer, but all three stepped out of the little door and into the street, where they first clasped hands so they could not get separated in the dark and then they ran as swiftly as they could down the street, which was deserted at this hour by the citizens. They could not go very fast, because the sailor man's wooden leg was awkward to run with and held them back, but Captain Bill hobbled quicker than he had ever hobbled before in his life, and they made really good progress. They met no one on the streets and continued their flight until at last they came to the city wall, which had a blue iron gate in it. Here was a blue-skinned guard, who had been peacefully slumbering when aroused by the footsteps of the fugitives. A halt! cried the guard fiercely. Captain Bill halted long enough to grab the man around his long neck with one hand and around his long leg with the other. Then he raised the blue skin in the air and threw him over the wall. A moment later they had unfastened the gate and fled into the open country, where they headed toward the low mountain whose outlines were plainly visible in the moonlight. The guard was now howling and crying for help. In the city were answering shouts. A hue and cry came from every direction, reaching as far as the palace. Lights began to twinkle everywhere in the streets, and the blue city hummed like a beehive filled with angry bees. It won't do for us to get caught now, panted Captain Bill as they ran along. I'm more afeard of them, blue citizens, than I am of the blue Boularoo. They'd tear us to pieces if they could. Sky Island was not a very big place, especially the blue part of it, and our friends were now very close to the low mountain. Presently, they paused before a grim archway of blue marble, above which was carved the one word, Finnis. The interior seemed dark and terrible as they stepped to regard it as a possible place of refuge. I don't like that place, Captain, whispered Trot. No more than I do, mate, he answered. I think I'd rather take a chance on the fog bank, said Button Bright. Just then they were all startled by a swift flapping of wings, and a voice cried in shrill tones, Where are you, Trot? As like as not, I've been forgot. Captain Bill jumped this way, and Button Bright that, and then there were lighted on Trot's shoulder the blue parrot that had been the pet of Princess Cerulea said the bird. Gee, I've flown, here all alone. It's pretty far, but here we are. And then he barked like a dog and chuckled with glee at having found his little friend. In escaping from the palace, Trot had been obliged to leave all the pets behind her, but it seemed that the parrot had found some way to get free and follow her. They were all astonished to hear the bird talk, and in poetry too. But Captain Bill told Trot that some parrots he had known had possessed a pretty fair gift of language and he added that this blue one seemed an unusually bright bird. As for poetry, he said, that's how you look at poetry. Rhymes come from your head, but real poetry from your heart. And whether the blue parrot has a heart or not, he sure got a head. Having decided not to venture into the Arch of Finnis, 
They again started on, this time across the country, straight toward the fog bank, which hung like a blue-gray cloud directly across the center of the island. They knew they were being followed by bands of blueskins, for they could hear the shouts of their pursuers growing louder and louder every minute, since their long legs covered the ground more quickly than our friends could possibly go. Had the journey been much farther, the fugitives would have been overtaken, but when the leaders of the pursuing blueskins were only a few yards behind them, they reached the edge of the fog bank and without hesitation plunged into its thick mist, which instantly hid them from view. The blueskins fell back, horrified at the mad act of the strangers. To them, the fog bank was the most dreadful thing in existence, and no blueskin had ever ventured within it, even for a moment. That's the end of those short-necked yellow skins, said one shaking his head. We may as well go back and report the matter to the Boolaroo. Chapter 12 Through the Fog Bank It was rather moist in the fog bank. Seems like a regular drizzle, said Trot. I'll be soaked through in a minute. She'd been given a costume of blue silk in exchange for her own dress, and the silk was so thin that the moisture easily wetted it. Never mind, said Captain Bill. When it's a case of life and death, clothes don't count for much. I'm sort of drippy meself, cried the parrot, fluttering his wings to keep them from sticking together. Floods and gushes fill our path. This is not my day for a bath. Shut it off, or fear my wrath. We can't, laughed Trot. We'll just have to stick it out until we get to the other side. Had we better go to the other side? asked Button Bright anxiously. Why not? returned Captain Bill. The other side is the only safe side for us. We don't know that, sir, said the boy. Kip Gazizzle said it was a terrible country. I don't believe it, retorted the sailor stoutly. Sizzle's never been there, and he knows nothing about it. The sunset country. Sounds sort of good to me. But how will we ever manage to get there? inquired Trot. Aren't we already lost in this fog? Not yet, said Captain Bill. I've kept me face turned straight ahead ever since we climbed into this bank of wetness. If we don't get twisted any, we'll go straight through to the other side. It was no darker in the fog bank than it had been in the blue country. They could see dimly the mass of the fog which seemed to cling to them, and when they looked down they discovered they were walking upon white pebbles that were slightly tinged with the blue color of the sky. Gradually this blue became fainter and fainter, until, as they progressed, everything became a dull gray. I wonder how far it is to the other side, remarked Trot wearily. We can't say till we get there, mate, answered the sailor in a cheerful voice. Captain Bill had a way of growing more and more cheerful when danger threatened. Never mind, said the girl. I'm as wet as a dish rag now, and I'm never going to get any wetter. Wet, wet, wet. It's awful wet, you bet, moaned the parrot on her shoulder. I'm in a fish pond. I'm a well. I'm a clam without a shell. Can't you dry up? asked Captain Bill. Not this evening, thank you, sir. To talk and gumbrel, I prefer, replied the parrot dolefully. They walked along more slowly now, still keeping hold of hands, for although they were anxious to get through the fog bank, they were tired with the long run across the country and with their day's adventures. They had had no sleep, and it was a long time past midnight. Look out! cried the parrot sharply. 
and they all halted to find a monstrous frog obstructing their path. Captain Bill thought it was as big as a whale, and as it squatted on the gray pebbles, its eyes were on a level with those of the old sailor. grunted the frog. What in the sky is this crowd? We're, we're strangers, stammered Trot. And we're trying to escape from the Blueskins and get into the Pink Country. I don't blame you, said the frog in a friendly tone. I hate those Blueskins. The Pinkies, however, are very decent neighbors. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Can you tell us, Mr. Mistress, good Mr. Frog, said Brutton Bright, um, your royal highness, if we're on the right road to the pink country? The frog seemed to laugh, for he gurgled in his throat in a very funny way. I'm no royal highness. I'm just a common frog. And a little wee tiny frog, too. But I hope to grow in time. This fog bank is the paradise of frogs, and our king is about ten times as big as I am. Then he's a big un, and make no mistake, admitted Captain Bill. I'm glad you like your country, but it's a mite too damp for us, and we'd be glad to get out of it. Follow me, said the frog. I'll lead you to the border. It's only about six jumps. He turned around, made a mighty leap, and disappeared into the gray mist. Our friends looked at one another in bewilderment. Don't see how we can follow that lead, remarked Captain Bill, but we may as well start in the same direction. Brooks and creeks, how it leaks, muttered the parrot. How can we jog to a frog in a fog? The big frog seemed to understand their difficulty, for he kept making noises in his throat to guide them to where he had leaped. When at last they came to him, he made a second jump out of sight as before. And when they attempted to follow, they found a huge lizard lying across the path. Captain Bill thought that it must be a giant alligator at first. It was so big. But he looked at them so sleepily, it did not seem at all dangerous. Oh, Liz, you puffy Liz, get out of our way and mind your biz, cried the parrot. Creep a mousey, crawl a mousey, please move on. We can't move a step till you are gone. Don't disturb me, said the lizard. I'm dreaming about parsnips. Did you ever taste a parsnip? Captain Bill said politely, We're in a hurry if it's all the same to you. Then climb over me or go around, I don't care which, murmured the lizard. When they're little, they're juicy. When they're big, there's more of them. But either way, there's nothing so delicious as a parsnip. There are none here in the fog bank, so the best I can do is dream of them. Oh, parsnips, parsnips, parsnips. He closed his eyes sleepily and resumed his dreams. Walking around the strange lizard, they resumed their journey and soon came to the frog, being guided by its grunts and croaks. Then off it went again, its tremendous leap carrying it far into the fog. Suddenly, Captain Bill tripped and would have fallen flat had not Trot and Button Bright held him up. Then he saw he had stumbled over the claw of a gigantic land crab, which lay sprawled out upon the pebbly bottom. Oh, begging pardon, I'm sure, exclaimed Captain Bill, backing away. Don't mention it, replied the crab in a tired tone. You did not disturb me, so there is no harm done. We didn't know you were here, 
Probably not, said the crab. It is no place for me anyhow, for I belong in the constellations, you know, with Taurus and Gemini and the other fellas. But I had the misfortune to tumble out of the zodiac some time ago. My name is Cancer, but I'm not a disease. Those who examine the heavens in these days, alas, can find no cancer there. Yes, we can, sir, Mr. Cancer, said the parrot with a chuckle. Once, remarked Captain Bill, I saw a picture of you in an almanac. Ah, the almanacs always did us full justice, the crab replied. But I'm told they're not fashionable now. If you don't mind, we'd like to pass on, said Button Bright. No, I don't mind, but be careful not to step on my legs. They're rheumatic. It's so moist here. They climbed over some of the huge legs and walked around others. Soon they had left the creature far behind. Aren't you rather slow? asked the frog when once more they came up to him. It isn't that, said Trot. You're just rather swift, I guess. The frog chuckled and leapt again. They noticed that the fog had caught a soft rose tint and was lighter and less dense than before, for which reason the sailor remarked that they must be getting near to the pink country. On this jump they saw nothing but a monstrous turtle, which lay asleep with its head and legs drawn into its shell. It was not in their way, so they hurried on and rejoined the frog, which said to them, I'm sorry, but I'm due with the king's court in a few minutes, and I can't wait for your short, weak legs to make the journey to the pink country, but if you'll climb upon my back, I think I can carry you to the border in one more leap. I'm tired said Trot. And this awful fog's beginning to choke me. Let's ride on the frog, Captain. Right ye are, mate, he replied. And although he shook with a bit of fear, the old man at once began to climb onto the frog's back. Trot seated herself on one side of him, and Button Bright on the other, and the sailor put his arms around them both to hold them tight together. Are you ready? asked the frog. Ding dong, cried the parrot. All aboard, let her go. Jump the best jump that you know. Don't, don't. Jump sort of easy, please, begged Captain Bill. But the frog was unable to obey this request. Its powerful hind legs straightened like steel springs and shot the big body with its passengers through the fog like an arrow launched from a bow. They gasped for breath and tried to hang on. And then suddenly the frog landed just at the edge of the fog bank, stopping so abruptly that his three riders left his back and shot far ahead of him. They felt the fog melt away and found themselves bathed in glorious rays of sunshine, but they had no time to consider this change because they were still shooting through the air, and presently, before they could think of anything at all, all three were rolling head over heels onto the soft grass of a meadow. Chapter 13. The Pink Country When the travelers could collect their senses and sit up, they stared about them in bewilderment, for the transition from the sticky, damp fog to this brilliant scene was so abrupt as to daze them at first. It was a pink country indeed. The grass was a soft pink, the trees were pink, all the fences and buildings which they saw in the near distance were pink, even the gravel in the pretty paths was pink, 
Many shades of color were there, of course, grading from a faint blush rose to deep pink verging on red, but no other color was visible. In the sky hung a pink glow with rosy clouds floating here and there, and the sun was not silvery white as we see it from the earth, but a distinct pink. The sun was high in the sky just now, which proved the adventurers had been a long time in passing through the fog bank, but all of them were wonderfully relieved to reach this beautiful country in safety, for aside from the danger that threatened them in the blue country, the other side of the island was very depressing. Here the scene that confronted them was pretty and homelike, except for the prevailing color and the fact that all the buildings were round without a single corner or angle. Half a mile distant was a large city, its pink tintings glistening bravely in the pink sunshine, while hundreds of pink banners floated from its numerous domes. The country between the fog bank and the city was like a vast garden, very carefully kept and as neat as wax. The parrot was fluttering its wings and pruning its feathers to remove the wet of the fog. Trot and Button Bright and Cap'n Bill were all soaked to the skin and chilled through. But as they sat upon the pink grass, they felt the rays of the sun sending them warmth and rapidly drying their clothes. So being tired out, they laid themselves comfortably down, and first one and then another fell cozily asleep. It was the parrot that eventually roused them. Look out, look out, there's folks about, it screamed. The apple dumplings, fat and pink, will be here quicker than a wink. Trot started up in alarm and rubbed her eyes. Cap'n Bill rolled over and blinked, hardly remembering where he was. Button Bright was on his feet in an instant. Advancing toward them were four natives of the pink country. Two were men and two were women, and their appearance was in sharp contrast to that of the blueskins. For the pinkies were round and chubby, almost like apple dumplings, as the parrot had called them, and they were not very tall the highest of the men being no taller than Trot or Button Bright. They all had short necks and legs, pink hair and eyes, rosy cheeks and pink complexions, and their faces were good-natured and jolly in expression. The men wore picturesque pink clothing and round hats with pink feathers in them, but the apparel of the women was still more gorgeous and striking. Their dresses consisted of layer after layer of gauzy tucks and ruffles and laces, caught here and there with bows of dainty ribbon. The skirts, which of course were of many shades of pink, were so fluffy and light that they stuck out from the fat bodies of the pinky women like the skirts of ballet dancers, displaying their chubby pink ankles and pink kid shoes. They wore rings and necklaces and bracelets and brooches of rose gold set with pink gems, and all four of the new arrivals, both men and women, carried sharp-pointed sticks made of rosewood for weapons. They halted a little way from our adventurers, and one of the women muttered in a horrified voice, Blueskins! Guess again. The more you guess, I rather think you'll know the less, retorted the parrot, and then he added grumblingly in Trot's ear, Blue feathers don't make blue birds. Really? said the little girl, standing up and bowing respectfully to the pinkies. We are not blueskins, although we're wearing the blue uniforms of the Boolaroo, and have just escaped from the blue country, 
If you look closely, you'll see that our skins are white. There is some truth in what she says, remarked one of the men thoughtfully. Their skins are not blue, but neither are they white. To be exact, I should call the skin of the girl and that of the boy a muddy pink, rather faded, while the skin of that gigantic monster with them is an unpleasant brown. Captain Bill looked cross for a minute, for he did not like to be called a gigantic monster, although he realized he was much larger than the pink people. "'What country did you come from?' asked the woman who had first spoken. "'From the earth,' replied Button Bright. "'The earth? The earth?' they repeated. "'That is a country we've never heard of. Where is it located?' "'Why, down below somewhere,' said the boy, who did not know in which direction the earth lay. "'It isn't just one country, but a good many countries.' "'We have three countries in Sky Island,' returned the woman. "'They are the blue country, the fog country, and the pink country. "'But, of course, this end of the island is the most important.' "'How came you in the blue country from which you say you escaped?' asked the man. "'We flew there by means of a magic umbrella,' explained Button Bright. "'But the wicked Blue LaRue stole it from us.' Stole, stole it? it. How, How dreadful. dreadful! They all cried in a chorus. And they made us slaves, said Trot. And wanted for to patch us, added Captain Bill indignantly. So we ran away and passed through the fog bank and came here, said Button Bright. The pinkies turned away and conversed together in low tones. Then one of the women came forward and addressed the strangers. Your story is the strangest we have ever heard she said. Had your presence here is still more strange and astonishing, so we have decided to take you to Tourmaline, and let her decide what shall be your fate. Who is Tourmaline? inquired Trot, doubtfully, for she didn't like the idea of being taken to anyone. Queen of the Pinkies, she is the sole ruler of our country, so the word of Tourmaline is the law of the land. Seems to me we've had about enough of kings and queens remarked Captain Bill. Can't we shy your Torbalin, or whatever you call her, in some way, and deal with you directly? No, until we prove your truth and honor, we must regard you as enemies of our race. If you had a magic umbrella, you may be magicians and sorcerers. Come here to deceive us, and perhaps betray us to our natural enemies, the Blueskins. Mud and bricks, fiddlesticks. We don't play such nasty tricks yelled the parrot angrily. This caused the pinkies to shrink back in alarm, for they had never seen a parrot before. "'Surely this is magic,' declared one of the men. "'No bird can talk unless inspired by witchcraft.' "'Oh, yes, parrots can,' said Trot. But this incident had determined the pinkies to consider our friends prisoners and to take them immediately before their queen. "'Must we fight you?' asked the woman. Or will you come with us peaceably? We'll go peaceable-like, answered Captain Bill. You're a-making a sad mistake, though, for we're as harmless as doves. But seeing as you're suspicious, we'd better have it out with your queen first as last. Their clothing was quite dry by this time, although much wrinkled and discolored by the penetrating fog. So at once they prepared to follow the pinkies. The two men walked on either side of them, holding the pointed sticks ready to jab them if they attempted to escape, 
and the two women followed in the rear, also armed with sharp sticks. So the procession moved along the pretty roadways to the city, which they soon reached. There was a strong high wall of pink marble around it, and they passed through a gate made of pink metal bars, and found themselves in a most delightful and picturesque town. The houses were big and substantial, all round in shape, with domed roofs and circular windows and doorways. In all the place there was but one street, a circular one that started at the gate and wound like a corkscrew toward the center of the city. It was paved with pink marble, and between the street and the houses that lined both sides of it were gardens filled with pink flowers and pink grass lawns, which were shaded by pink trees and shrubberies. As the queen lived in the very center of the city, the captives were obliged to parade the entire length of this street, and that gave all the pink citizens a chance to have a good look at the strangers. The pinkies were every one short and fat and gorgeously dressed in pink attire, and their faces indicated that they were contented and happy. They were very much surprised at Captain Bill's great size and wooden leg, two very unusual things in their experience and the old sailor frightened more than one pinky boy and girl and sent them scampering into the houses where they viewed the passing procession from behind window shutters in comparative safety. As for the grown people, many of them got out their sharp-pointed sticks to use as weapons in case the strangers attacked them or broke away from their guards. A few more bold than the others followed on at the tail of the procession, and so presently they all reached open circular place in the exact center of the pink city.